for joining us for our second podcast in our ASC Topic 842 Leases series. I hope you were able to listen in on the first one discussing what is a lease and determining if a contract contains a lease. If not, I encourage you to do so. My name is Dawn Patterson, and I'm a CPA and audit senior manager in both the commercial and not-for-profit groups here at Very Done. Today, we'll be discussing some core concepts in ASC Topic 842, which include a discussion on determining if a contract is a service contract or a lease, the new lease classifications, lease versus non-lease components in a contract, what is included and excluded from lease payments, and the lease term. We will begin by discussing the difference between a service contract and a lease. It is important to know that service contracts give rise to different rights and obligations compared to those of a lease contract, and as a result, are counted for in completely different ways. Simply put, in a lease contract, the lessee continues to benefit throughout the lease term from the lessor's performance of making the associated asset subject to the lease available to the lessee. This type of continuing benefit is very similar in most respects to a license of intellectual property. When a lessor makes available, for example, delivers, the asset to be used by the lessee, the lessor has fulfilled its obligation to transfer this right of use. In this situation, the lessee now controls that asset and has created an obligation to pay for that right to use the asset. As a result, a lease liability has been created by this transfer and the lessee cannot simply return the asset without breaching the contract and potentially incurring significant termination penalties. As well, the lessor cannot take back the lease asset from the lessee without a similar breach of contract. This arrangement serves as the foundation of a lease and is the reason FASB ASC Topic 842 requires the recognition of a right of use asset and an associated lease liability. This accounting will be discussed in more detail in a future podcast. In typical service contracts, on the other hand, the customer obtains economic benefits from the service only as the supplier performs the service prescribed within the contract. In other words, the supplier's performance does not continue to benefit the customer, as is the case with a lease, throughout the remaining service period. In a typical service contract, the vendor has a remaining obligation to perform until it has provided all the service to its customer. In turn, the customer typically has an obligation to pay only for the services provided to date. That concludes our section on determining if a contract is a service contract or a lease. Next, we will discuss what the different lease classifications are and how they are defined, which include finance leases, operating leases, and short-term leases. First, we will discuss a finance lease. A lessee is required to classify a lease as a finance lease when it meets any one of the recognition criteria in FASB ASC 842-10-25-2, which is as follows. The lease transfers ownership of the underlying asset to the lessee by the end of the lease term. The lease contains a purchase option that the lessee is reasonably certain to exercise. The lease term is for the major part of the remaining economic life of the underlying asset. 
the present value of the lease payments and residual value guaranteed by the lessee equals or exceeds substantially all the fair value of the underlying asset. And the underlying asset is specialized and expected to have no alternative use to the lessor at the end of the lease term. As you can see, this is very similar to the previous capital lease criteria in ASC Topic 840. ASC Topic 842 eliminated the bright line tests under the old ASC Topic 840 rules. There's now the inclusion of terms such as substantially all, reasonably certain, and major part. ASC Topic 842 no longer uses the term bargain purchase option. And it also includes additional new criterion for no alternative use. It is important to note that with the elimination of the bright line tests, that you are consistent with how you determine both the lease term being the major part of the remaining economic life of the underlying asset, and that the value of the lease payments and the residual value guaranteed by the lessee equals or exceeds substantially all the fair value of the underlying asset. You should have an accounting policy that needs to be consistently applied to all leases. You cannot change these on a lease by lease basis. Next, we will discuss an operating lease. The FASB ASC master glass glossary definition of operating lease is changed only to indicate it is a lease that is not a finance lease instead of the previous terminology of the capital lease. There are also huge changes in the measurement and recognition of operating leases, which is the most dramatic difference in the new lease standard. We will be discussing those topics in one of our upcoming podcasts. Finally, we will discuss the concept of a short-term lease. A short-term lease is defined as a lease term of 12 months or less, which includes all options to extend, and it does not include an option to purchase the asset that a lessee is reasonably certain to exercise. A connected concept is related party informal agreements. An implementation issue that may be encountered is informal arrangements or agreements involving related parties. For example, how should an informal month-to-month -month arrangement for rental payments between related parties be accounted for under FASB ASC Topic 842? FASB ASC 842-10-55-12 states that leases between related parties should be classified in accordance with the lease classification criteria applicable to all other leases on the basis of legally enforceable terms and conditions of the lease. Therefore, under the standard, an informal month-to-month -month arrangement would be classified and accounted for as a short-term lease with appropriate related party transaction disclosures. If treatment other than that is desired, the related parties should enter into a legally enforceable contract that defines the intended terms and conditions, which can then be accounted for in accordance with the standard. That concludes our section on the different lease classifications. The next topic we will be discussing will be lease versus non-lease components. Many contracts contain both lease and non-lease components, such as a contract for a lease of equipment that includes a maintenance service. In addition, there are contracts that contain multiple lease components, such as a lease of a port that can incorporate the lease of land, buildings, and equipment. 
Most important point to note here is that in FASB ASC Topic 842, the distinctions between these lease and non-lease components become more important as these components are counted for differently. As a result, after a lessee has made the determination that a contract contains a lease, an entity is required to identify the separate lease components within a contract and consider the right to use an underlying asset to be a separate lease component if both of the following conditions are met. First, the lessee can benefit from the right of use either on its own or together with other resources that are readily available to the lessee. And second, the right of use is neither highly dependent on nor highly interrelated with the other rights to use underlying assets in the contract. Not all lease contracts contain multiple lease components. However, when a contract does contain more than one lease component, an entity is required to allocate consideration in the contract to each separate lease and non-lease component. The important point here is that only those items or activities that transfer a good or service to the lessee can be considered a component. Accordingly, the following are not considered lease components and should not receive an allocation of the consideration. Administrative tasks to set up a contract or initiate the lease that do not transfer a good or service to the lessee and reimbursement or payment of lessor's costs. The overall principle here is that a lessee should consider the respective components. One of these components can also be of a non-lease nature. However, in this instance, FASB permitted the use of a practical expedient for an entity to simply include the non-lease components as part of the lease components. In other words, instead of going through the potential administrative burden of allocating a portion of the consideration of a contract to a non-lease component, which could be fairly immaterial in some instances, an entity is allowed to bypass this allocation and instead just account for the non-lease component as a lease component. Although generally these practical expedients within certain accounting standards benefit entities, the use of this practical expedient would actually result in an entity recognizing additional lease liabilities on the balance sheet. FASB included the following in its basis for conclusions. The availability of the practical expedient to a lessee is not affected by the relative size of the lease and the non-lease components. However, given that the result of electing this practical expedient is to record additional lease liabilities, the board concluded that leasees will, in general, elect this expedient only in arrangements with less significant service components. That concludes our section on lease versus non-lease components. Next topic we'll be discussing will be what to include and exclude from the lease payments at the initial measurement date of the lease. At the commencement of a lease, an entity should first determine its total lease payments and what is and is not included in the payments. In other words, the entity must know what its total lease payments are so that I can use this payment stream over the lease term to determine the present value of future minimum lease payments. This results in a lease liability and right of use asset, which will be discussed in a later podcast. The following should be included in lease payments relating to an underlying asset over its lease term. Fixed payments, or in substance fixed payments, less any lease incentives paid or payable to the lessee. Variable lease payments that depend on an index or rate, such as the consumer price index or a market interest rate, initially measured using the index or rate at the commencement date. 
exercise price of a reasonably certain option to purchase the underlying asset, payments for penalties for terminating the lease if the lease term reflects that the leasee exercising an option to terminate the lease, amounts being owed under a residual value guarantee. Additionally, the following components should not be included with lease payments. Certain other variable lease payments, guarantee by the lessee of the lessor's debt, amounts allocated to non-lease components. Examples of certain other variable lease payments that should not be included within lease payments for the purpose of determining the lease liability and related right of use asset at the commencement date include the following. Real estate taxes, building insurance, increase in payments as a result of increases in index or rate since commencement date, lease payments determined based on a percentage of sales of the lessee. The variable lease payments previously listed will be recognized and reported as variable lease costs in the statement of operations in the period in which the changes in facts and circumstances on which the variable lease payments are based on occur. That concludes our section on what to include and exclude from lease payments. The final topic we'll discuss in this podcast will be to define the lease term. The lease term will be the non-cancelable period plus options that a leasee is reasonably certain to exercise plus options to extend or not terminate controlled by lessor. The lease term may require reassessment if the following apply. A significant event or a significant change in circumstances that is within the control of the lessee directly affects whether the lessee is reasonably certain to exercise or not to exercise an option to extend or terminate the lease or to purchase the underlying asset. An event written into the contract obliges the leasee to exercise or not to exercise an option to extend or terminate the lease. The lessee elects to exercise an option even though the entity had previously determined that the lessee was not reasonably certain to do so. The lessee elects not to exercise an option even though the entity had previously determined that the lessee was reasonably certain to do so. Thank you for joining us today as we took a dive into some of the concepts in ASC Topic 842, which included a discussion on determining if a contract is a service contract or a lease, the new lease classifications, lease versus non-lease components in a contract, what is included and excluded from lease payments, and the lease term. Please join us in our upcoming podcast surrounding recognition, measurement, presentation and disclosure, and transition methods under the new lease guidance.